Greetings, Archons. Welcome to Sanctimonious, a Keyforge podcast where two zealous Keyforge players discuss various topics regarding combat within the Crucible. Stand at attention and salute your hosts, Sir Jake and Sir Dan. Welcome, everyone, to Sanctimonious. Uh, we've got an awesome show this week that I'm super excited to dive into. But before we do that, we have a bunch of announcements to get through, and I think they're pretty exciting. So, Dan, why don't you start first? All right. Thank you, Jake. Hey, everybody. How's it going? Uh, so, first announcement, we have our business cards in. They are business cards slash archive denoters, so you can use them in-game if you uh, need that handy reminder that you have an archive or which cards are your archive. Uh, it's really handy. I actually got to use mine at a Archon event last night and pass them out around the store, and people are pretty happy with them. So if you want one of those, hop on our Discord and send me a private message. I will mail one out, mail a couple out to you, and or you can you know contact us via Twitter. Awesome. Jake, your turn. Uh, the second announcement, and I'm really excited about this, is we are trying to put together a t-shirt order for Team Sanctimonious t-shirts that'll have our logo on it, uh, and maybe say Sanctimonious Keyforge, and then on the back, Archon of the Crucible. I think they're going to be awesome. We're just waiting on the final art. Um, this is not something that we will be making any money off of at all. We will be shipping them out at cost uh, just to sort of get the Sanctimonious name out there. And then one thing I think is really exciting about it is if you are going to a Keyforge event, um, and you've got your Sanctimonious shirt on, that might give you a group of people that you can sort of hang out with in between games, talk to about your rounds and root for. Um, so yeah, I think it's going to be really great. They should be right around $15 once they're printed, and then plus shipping to wherever you are. Obviously, that'll be a little bit more expensive coming from the United States if you're uh, out of the country, but we can figure it out. So if you're interested in that, uh, I will need your order ASAP by the end of this <laughs> week to get in on the first round. Um, so just shoot me a private message in Discord um, if you're interested. If you're not yet in the Discord and you're interested in a sweet shirt, uh, there will be a link to join in the notes of this podcast. And we also have an email address too if you just want to do it that way, if you want to stay off the Discord, which is fine. That's right. Sanctimonious at Gmail. Yep. So plenty of ways to contact us. Same thing on the business cards. If you want to just send an email, um, that's fine too. All right, my turn. So we are setting up an adaptive throwdown with the Keyfort podcast, and we're hoping to do that here in maybe the next week or so. Hopefully. I don't know. Life happens. We're trying to get that set up. We're going to take on a couple of the uh, the Keyforters over there, and we will be streaming that. I think me and Jake will have our own streams going. And then I think um, the Keyfort podcast has many more people than we do. So we're only playing two of their guys. And I think the other two might uh, might commentate from their streams. So you can get our view and then you can get the global overarching view with them commentating. So keep your eyes peeled for that. We'll get that scheduled and put on the, uh, on the different social medias. That'll be super fun. Really looking forward to taking on those guys. Popping some sealed freshies. Yeah, great podcast as well. If you haven't yet checked them out, I highly recommend giving them a download and listening to their first season. Um, the final announcement, and this is probably what most people find the most exciting, is we are doing another deck giveaway. 
This time we're giving away a gamma stamped deck. Give me that gamma. Give me that gamma. So it should be, I mean, it's maybe not the best deck in the world, but it's a piece of Keyforge history, just a little collector's item uh, that are really hard to track down. So if you are interested in winning this deck, all you need to do is retweet the episode um, tweet that we'll put out from the Sanctimonious Twitter account when this episode drops. And you need to use the hashtag Keyforge and then guess what three houses are in the deck. If multiple people guess the same combination that's right, I'll just pick one amongst those that group. If nobody picks the exact same three right one, I'll pick somebody amongst the group that picks two out of three and so on and so forth. So we'll definitely give it away no matter what. So again, to enter the contest, all you have to do is retweet this episode post and type hashtag Keyforge and then guess the three houses that are in the deck. It's that easy. So yeah, go out there, take your guesses. All right, now on to the meat of the show. Let's do this. Okay, so let's get started with our weekly inspiration. One Keyforge-related thing that inspired us this week. My inspiration is going to a Chainbound tournament, and I wanted to test out one of the decks that I did not choose at the uh, Columbus Vault Tour to, you know, that question sort of been in the back of my mind. I went four and two, I did well, but did I make the right choice? And I want to continue to learn about the game and grow as a player. So it seemed like a good opportunity to just test out one of those decks at an Archon event. So not exactly sealed, a little different and see how it did. So the deck I played was the Undulating Scribe. That is uh, Shadows, Logos, Mars deck that I very nearly selected. And what I found out is that I'm pretty convinced I made the wrong choice. The deck just played <laughs> really well. Uh, I ended up going 2-1 and one at the tournament. And um, I'll talk more about the specific cards that I misevaluated in our main topic. So I don't want to dive into that here. But I think that was really my inspiration is that you can't just look at cards uh, devoid of the context of their deck they're in. Because I think several of these cards in this deck in particular really performed well in that deck, even though they might be slightly lower power level cards overall. So still learning about that game, uh, still learning about the game, still learning about Sealed. Uh, it's sort of an exciting moment of revelation for me. And that is my weekly inspiration. Perfect. Well, I did the impossible and I made it to an Archon event. I know. Sound the klaxons. Drop the drawbridge. It actually happened. Air horn. Sound <laughs> Air <effect>. horn. <laughs> Um, so yeah, I played in a Chainbound last night, and it was a lot of fun. Um, I was debating what deck to bring, and my entire Discord screamed at me, you have to put, put your money where your mouth is and play Martian Generosity Key Abduction. So yeah, that makes sense. So um, I took a deck that I only had about six games with. I've only gotten to play it six times. It's like a 5-in-1 record, so I've got a good record with it, but I'm still learning a lot of the ins and outs of the deck, and I think that kind of hurt me in the early rounds. Um, so my first round... I lost to a AOA Time Traveler deck by a very good player that was visiting from Fresno. Um, he'd come up and just bought three decks at the store, and that was the best of his three decks he pulled. So he kind of played his own Vault Tour sealed <laughs> sealed event. And um, yeah, it was super close. I was I got my 
combo off kind of mid-game to forge my second key. And I was putting all the pressure on him, and he went Miasma one turn into Ronnie the next turn, and that just pushed him over the edge. I had a chance to maybe, on the turn he Ronnied me, stay at six. Um, I mean, I don't, I don't completely remember, but there's a point I could have stayed. Maybe he did Ronnie, then Miasma. That might have been the way it went. I don't know. Either way, two turns in a row, he prevented my third key forge. And I think if I'd gone to six Amber and not seven, um, I think I could have won because he barely got himself to six and I just didn't have any more cards to pull him off of check at that point. So that was a really good game. He ended up going three and one. So I did not lose to a bad opponent. He was very good. It was a very fun game. Second round, I played against another AOA deck and I got Ortano's Binding did all over the place. Uh, her first turn, she mulliganed into a hand that included both the, uh, let's see here, make, it, make sure. So she had both Ortano's bindings in hand, so she immediately played both of those out with no creatures on the board for all the value. And then, like, the next turn, like, dropped, like, I think she dropped a Tentacus that turn. Then, like, the next turn dropped out actual Ortano and another Tentacus. So she had this huge disboard and just... Uh, kept bouncing the the Ortanu's bindings back, so that one uh, that one I kind of got smoked. But yeah, like thinking back on those first two games, like I think I was trying too hard just to cycle my deck because like I hadn't played it enough yet. I was just really trying to push the combo, the Martian Generosity Key Abduction combo, and I think that was to my detriment. I think I just need to play Key Forge, and then once I have the combo in hand, then I can make it happen. So game three, I played against a Coda deck, and I won. So that was good, putting myself Ooh. back in the winner's bracket. Yeah, I almost won. Like uh, MGKA were in the bottom five cards of my deck, and I almost won the game without him, but it was a good thing I did get them because he was about to forge on the next turn, And but I had him in hand, so I was able to, I think, draw 10 cards and just key abduction for the win. And then the last game was a super close, super grindy, super awesome game. Um, yeah, I pulled off, so it was crazy. It was That was probably the highlight of the night. Like, the game was so close. We were both at two keys. Um, I started discovering little tricks in my deck that I didn't realize before. Um, my deck has a Chaos Portal in it. Um, so one turn I went Chaos Portal and called, uh, I think, Logos. I revealed the top card, and it was Martian Generosity. And I still had about 12 cards in hand from my last Martian Generosity. <laughs> um, and I was already up to like 4 or 5 Amber, and I had a bunch of Logos creatures out. So I got myself to, I think, 5 Amber at the end of that turn. I, the next turn, I called Logos again. I still had my Helper bot somewhere in the deck. And I Martian generosity for, I think, 14 cards. So I only had... Um, two cards left. I think I have one card in my deck and one card in my discard or something like that. Like, it was ridiculous. Um, so yeah, Helper botted a key abduction, played a bunch of Logos creatures, and put myself back in check on the same turn that I key abducted, which was amazing. Wow. And one more time, just for the people in the back who maybe are first time listening to this show, sure. Dan is on this crusade where he loves... Martian Generosity Key Abduction Combo. And the way that works is Martian Generosity is a card that gives you one amber, and then it says lose all your amber and draw two cards for each amber you lost. 
And then key abduction is a key cheat type of card where you can forge a key at plus nine of current cost minus one for each card in your hand. So the idea is you just draw a metric ton of cards <laughs> yeah, and I think forge key for free. I always kept the amber from key abduction. I never had to use the amber from key abduction all night. <clears throat> and then I was, I was especially proud of the way I finished the game off. So the way I finished the game off, I had, I think I went Mars. I had a Maruk the Marked out. He was at six. And so I orbital bombardment for 16 damage. That sounds like a lot. <laughs> it was a lot. <laughs> so I hit my Maruk the Marked. I had Archimedes out, the man of the hour, with a helper bot and an Igor next to him. So I hit both of those guys. I pretty much cleared his board after that as well. So I used six damage on myself and 10 damage on his dudes. Re removed all the problem creatures, set up my archives for a big Logos turn the next turn. And I had six cards left in my deck of which Martian Generosity and Key Abduction were uh, in there within those six. So I've got Chaos Portal and Igor and Helper Bot to try to dig for either Martian Generosity or Key Abduction to finish out the game. And yeah, so on my turn, I uh, Igor into the key abduction with still, I think I had like eight Mars creatures on the board, so that was pretty sweet. But yeah, it was set up pretty much that even if I whiffed on the Igor, I still had a two and three shot of hitting either Martian Generosity or key abduction on the uh, Chaos Portal. That's awesome. Pinging your own Maruk the Mark was like the like eureka moment because i was like crap i think i just lost this game again where he's going to be at six and i just can't stop him i'm like oh wait this orbital bombardment can just ping maruk and capture one done i'm so glad that you finally were able to get out to a chain bound sounds like you had a good time overall great time carson the head marshal for all of the vault tours except for one in the united states is the guy that runs all the events there so that was super cool so he was proselytizing the new archimedes ruling to anybody that would listen and anybody that had any questions that was really cool um it further reinforces in my mind that you need to really have reps with a deck before you compete with it because <laughs> i think i mean i i i went two and two it was not the you know i, I thought i would do a little bit better because i had a good record coming in but i mean it was just unfamiliarity with the deck and just not realizing some of those kind of sneaky plays like that i think it's kind of okay like i think like helper bot martian generosity is actually a really good play even if you don't get the key abduction because you're gonna have so many cards in hand anyways by the time you get there you'll just get there so i don't know i learned a bunch of stuff last night and it was a blast let's move on so thanks for sharing that and then in the rest of this episode in our main topic we're going to be looking at cards uh, that we may have already previously talked about, maybe we haven't, from the Age of Ascension set. And the idea is we're looking at cards that maybe have shifted in our minds where we thought it was good at first, and then it's turned out to be not so good or better than we thought. Uh, cards that our opinion is still being formed and changing on. Yep, let's do it. start we're going to go in alphabetical order per the houses as they are listed in the card so that means we are on brobnar so my first one i want to bring up is bramo so bramo is a four power one armored creature that says play deal two damage to each enemy flank creature i just think this guy's amazing guy girl i guess i'm not really sure i can't tell in the art i don't ever look at the art anyways 
that's four damage you're putting out. It really forces your opponent to really consider how they set up their battle line. And sometimes if it's just early, I mean, they they don't really have a choice. It's the only two creatures they have out, so it just hits them both. And then you combine Brahma with Drummer Knot, and you could do four damage to the flank creatures. You can just start shotgunning things down. I've really been impressed with Brammo. Yeah, I agree. At the Chainbound event, I went to uh, one of the opponents, got a Brammo out early, and I just have all these dumb Igors in my deck, basically. And he just locked me down for several turns, just recurring Brammo with Drummer Knot, and I just could not get a board established for the longest time because of that card. I do think it's quite uh, potent as well, so definitely agree that it's been one that I thought would be good, but has even exceeded my expectations a little bit. All right, let's move on to the next one. So this is one uh, that I think there's actually some mixed opinions on, and that card is Into the Fray. It's an action that says a friendly Brobnar creature gains fight, ready this creature. So for me, this card has been absolutely incredible. And... I think I talked about it being something I was excited about, and it has vastly exceeded my expectation. And I think the reason for that is that AOA overall has much more prevalence of elusive creatures, which means if you get this thing out on a fight creature, like Grok specifically, then you're just going to be a lot of times making... So Grok is a five power creature that gains fight, or that has fight. Your opponent loses one amber. So I've had it go off both for me and against me where you play into the fray on Grok and attack into a little elusive creature, they lose one, kill it off, they lose one, attack another little elusive creature, they lose one, kill it off, they lose one. And then you can just reap with it at the end for a five amber swing because you don't have to ready and fight with it. It just gets ready. It's, it's crazy. It's a really powerful card. And the last thing I'll say about it is that one of the reasons people think it's maybe not quite so strong is because you need a ready Brobnar creature in order to get effect out of it. Uh, but I just haven't found that to be much of an issue. I mean, Brobnar creatures in general are bigger and harder to remove. And if you have something like a Groggins or a Lollop, they're generally not uh, they're just a big guy that sits out there. They're usually not a high priority for your opponent to remove. So I found it's actually quite easy to get a ton of value out of that card. No, for sure. Yeah, I've I had that in my sealed release event as well. I got the uh, the dream play of Lollop into a bunch of two and one power creatures where I cleared I think six six logos creatures off the board right before I lost. I lolloped real good as I went out. <laughs> and then really quickly, I think just two more cards that I'll lump in that same category of impressing me for the same reason are Calfine, the five power creature that has, is it fight or before fight? So five power Brabnar creature before fight, deal two damage to each neighbor of the creature Calfine fights. And then and that, and then Bingle Bang Bang as well, which is two the inverse, a two power creature that has before fight, deal five to the neighbors. And I think these cards have impressed me for the same reason. There's just more elusive cards on the board in general than in uh, Call of the Archon. So both of these... Uh, can get a ton of value by attacking to elusive, dealing two damage to creatures, and then, of course, not taking damage in return. So especially for a card like Bingle Bang Bang, getting two fights out of it instead of one is just a ton of damage you're putting out. 
No, definitely. If you if you untap with Bingle Bang Bang, even if it suicides itself into something like dealing the five to the two neighbors, it's usually worth it. Like, it's so good. So very good. All right, so I'm going to bring up a card that I've not been impressed with, and um, that would be First Blood. You get an Amber when you play it. It has the Alpha keyword, so you have to play it first. And then it says, Play. Deal two damage for each friendly Brobnar creature. You may divide this damage among any number of creatures. And really quickly, I'm going to put in an interesting ruling that came from last night's Chainbound, where Carson, I believe, correctly ruled that this is kind of reading like cooperative hunting. So that two damage doesn't have to go together. So if your opponent has two one-powered creatures out and you only have one one ready, yeah, each friendly Bromnar creature. I guess it doesn't have to be ready, but it just has to be friendly. Okay, so you could do one damage to one creature and one damage to the other creature. So if you have two, you have four damage that you can split up however you want. You just, it's, since it's more of a limited, um, I mean, you have to have friendly Brobnar creatures. That's the only way to get the two damage. But yeah, for the most part, this card's awful. Like, <laughs> the thing you can say about it is it gives you an amber when you play it. So that's nice. But I don't know. I, I just, yeah, I feel like I have it in a few decks. And the decks that I have it in, most of the time, I'm just playing it for the amber. I don't know that I've ever had a big big Brobnar board where this is really shined. So I disagree with you a little bit on First Blood. Um, for me, I definitely acknowledge that it's a somewhat deck-dependent card, which isn't a great virtue to have if you have it with only you know three or four or even five Brobnar creatures. A lot of times it just reads, gain one amber. But if you have it in a deck with quite a few Brobnar creatures, I think it can be pretty effective. I mean, being able to deal damage and gain an Amber is always an effect that I value highly. And I think especially when you've got Brobnar creatures out, you know, they're good at fighting, but that doesn't necessarily help you win the game. So it's much better to reap with them um, in that case. So, I mean, if you do start your turn with even two Brobnar creatures out in First Blood, being able to do four damage divided how you choose is a pretty good effect that I like to have in my deck. No, and I agree. Um, my thinking is, though, it's just so conditional with that alpha. Like, if the alpha wasn't there, the card would be amazing. So then it would play yeah. kind of like a cooperative hunting. Because not only do you have, like, I mean, pretty much with First Blood, you need to draw it, like, mid to late game when you've got Brobnar creatures out. If you draw it early, like, I mean, it's just an amber. And so it's that kind of condition that I'm not a huge fan of. I want it to be good more consistently i think that'll do it for us on brobnar so let's move in to dis so what do we got first for dis so let's just start off with exhum the card that we managed to squeeze into every single episode oh and by the way if you haven't already you can join our discord that's in the uh notes below so those are now we've done our two obligations of talking about just how ridiculously good exhum is and ask people to join our discord Exhume yourself into our Discord. Get out of that discard pile of life and into the interwebs of our inner sanctum. So yeah, I guess it's just a card that we thought was good, and at least me, I'm still just gro like even more now. I'm just realizing how totally insane it is. Just just in case you don't know, it's a discard that gives you an amber. It's got a raw amber on it, which is just insane. And then it says, play, choose a creature in your discard pile. You may play that creature as if it belonged to the active house and was in your hand. 
So whatever tech creature, like a Ronnie Risk Clocks that's sitting in your discard when your opponent's at seven and you play that for one amber plus stealing two amber to give yourself three amber and to take two away from your opponent, that's pretty good. Yeah, that's crazy. And then also it's just so flexible because a lot of times you want to steal amber. I mean, that's one of the premier uses for it. But other times you're getting back uh, something that you know, a Bramo that's dealing two damage to get rid of important creatures, or you're getting back, you know, something that's going to help you draw cards to find a different out in the game. So it's almost in any situation, it can be exactly what you need. I really wish I was a fly on the wall of that developers meeting when they're like, you know, this card seems okay, but let's give it an extra amber. Right. Make sure people play with it. (laughs) No, yeah, there's a lot of great play effects in AOA and like just being able to recur those or just, I mean, even if they don't have a play effect, some creatures are just good to bring back. But especially, especially play effects. Like, play effect from any house while you're in your disc turn is just really good. So along with Exhume, we also have Cold of the Week, another disc action card that comes with a raw amber that it doesn't need that says, <laughs> destroy the least powerful enemy creature. And we've just been talking about how many, like, two and one powered creatures that just need to die. You've got your Dusk Witches, you have your... Archimedes, you have all these like small little dudes that you're usually hiding behind the big taunt dudes, and this thing just says cull them and also gain an amber while you do it. And even in like other situations, I had it last night where I lost a Groggins to cull the week because that was my only creature on board because I went first and played a Groggins and I got it culled. Like, <laughs> how good is that? Yeah, it so it reads as very situational, destroy the least powerful creature, but there's so many good two power creatures that a lot of times it really just reads gain an amber destroy the creature that you most want to destroy yeah i mean your your opponent's probably gonna have creatures on the board at some point in the game so it's gonna fire and like it's less like i like this one more than hand of disc because hand of disc sometimes there just wasn't a non-flank of creature and hand of disc didn't give you an amber so i mean this as long as they have an a creature out you're getting an amber and getting rid of it so so good yeah Great comparison, I think, because you're exactly right. So much less situational than Hand of Dis, and you get an Amber for it. Let's sign me up for that. <laughs> yeah, right. There's no downside there. Um, let's talk about Misery Exploit. So Misery Exploit's a discard that says, play, gain one Amber for each damaged enemy creature. I was kind of excited for this one. Like, I kind of realized it'd be kind of hard to set up. There are a lot of ways in this set to actually spread damage. There's a lot more spells now, and like Brobnar and... Um, Brobnar has Pound, which does two and two splash, and they have Flamethrower that does one and one splash. Like, there's ways of doing it. You've got Whistling Darts out of Shadows, which is an action card that deals one to all enemy creatures. And I kind of thought this would be sweet, and I've got a deck with double Misery Exploit, double Whistling Darts. <sighs> and it's, like, good for maybe, like, one Amber or two Amber. Like, I, I mean, I haven't had a lot of reps with it, but it's, yeah, it's not as good as I was hoping. Like, I agree. This is probably... This, my at least my least favorite card in Diffs, if not just the outright worst one. And I think one of the important things to note about it is, yes, it can synergize with cards, but it doesn't synergize with any commons in the Diss house, meaning it's very likely to just be a dead card. And, and then it also doesn't really contribute to the game plan of typically what Diss is trying to do, of control the game, destroy creatures outright. Uh, so it just seems to be a card that doesn't really fit with what they're trying to do. So it's a card I discard a lot. If you can get it off for a one amber, then that's good value, and that's not great. You've got Ortana the Chained, which has Ortana's Binding, which can 
probably set it up well, but again, that's like a rare, super special kind of card. And we lost Tendrils of Pain from the last uh, set. So unless you have like a legacy Tendrils of Pain, so that way you can do it within one turn together. Doesn't Ortanu Binding deal damage to your own creatures? It does, but Ortanu the Chain, when you return them, like if you can reap with Ortanu the Chain, you return them dealing two to a creature with two splash. All right, so the next card is another one we've already talked about, um, but it's one that my opinion keeps going down on, and that's Streak. Um, what's Streak do, Dan? It's a two-power elusive disc creature. Uh, while Streak is not on a flank, your opponent refills their hand to one less card during their draw card step. So it is Succubus, but it can't be on a flank. It's only two power, so it dies to every removal spell like in AOA. Uh, it just dies to everything. Like I guess it lives through a whistling darts, but there's not there's just so many ways to deal two damage out of hand that it's just not gonna stick around, or it has to be on the flank. So if they've got like a weak creature next to it or just any creature next to it that matters, they can just kill that first and cancel the effect. Right. And that was one of the best things about Succubus, is that usually it was a card that would die very quickly, but it was a card your opponent was forced to deal with right away. Well, the thing was that the removal was tougher for Succubus at 3 power. There was less things in the Coda decks that would just do 3 power, like removal. So it was much, That's true. It was much harder to just like single card remove it, whereas Streak is just 2 power, and there's so many 2 power removals. Yes. I, I agree. I think that's true. And also, a lot of times, you just don't even need to because it's situated next to a card that you would rather kill anyway, and you can just sort of get two birds with one stone by dealing with the card you want to remove and getting out from under streak. So just anytime you're giving your opponent more choices to deal with something you're trying to do, that's really, really bad in card games in general, and it's true here as well for streak. Yep. So another card I want to put that i am been super underwhelmed with is the Ember Imp. Amber Imp. I'm so glad you brought that up, actually. I was going to bring up the same card. <laughs> it's so bad. Like, it hurts you and your opponent. Like, it's just never good. Like, at first I was like, oh, that's kind of cool. You can, like, delay your opponent's turn next turn. But then you pretty much have to call Dis again to, like, get rid of it yourself. Like, you can run it into something, which is fine. But that it's kind of just forcing you back into Dis because... I don't know, it's hitting you too for the stuns. Like, Mars does it so much better with their dude and their artifact. Like, ugh, just stunning yourself. Like, it's the worst, and I've done it too, where I've reaped with my own guys, stunning them off my own Amber Imp, and it just feels awful. I like this card. I think it's a good card. So. <laughs> no. <laughs> no. Oh, I no. I really do. I really do. And... It, it goes back to what I was saying about Misery Exploit not working with what Dis is generally trying to do, where I feel like Ember Imp fits in really well with kind of the rest of the package that you're likely to see. Um, you know, Dis is all about controlling the game, getting to a situation where, you know, you're handling your opponent's board so you can do, use your other houses to do what you really want to do. And I think that it, it, it can be tricky. It, it might be a little bit deck dependent as well, but a lot of times, you you know, just dropping a card that your opponent in a lot of situations, especially if you're behind in the game, right? So you're behind, you play Ember Imp, then your opponent has to deal with that because they want to use their board to reap. But then you have to get rid of it to start reaping yourself to catch back up. I don't know. 
I don't know. It seems like you drop it when you're behind, then you're, uh, the impetus is on your opponent to deal with it. If you play it when you're ahead, maybe that's the wrong decision. Maybe that's a time when you just want to discard it. But you have that choice because, you know, it's your card. I, I think I think in the, right, uh, in the right deck, it's really good, especially if you're trying to do some kind of really controlling uh, strategy using you know heart of the forest or something like that i think it can be a really strong card no i'm i'm on the other side chime in on the discord and the uh the twitters and let us know what if you're team dan or team jake on amber imp all right well, let's go on to logos uh, one more can we do one more yeah sure i want to i want to give a shout out to the yurks so there's three yurks there's a uh, four powered yurk play choose and discard a single card Old Yurk, which is five power, I believe. Choose and discard two cards from your hand when you play them. And Ancient Yurk for choose and discard three cards from your hand. Um, the first two, sweet. So good. Really like those guys. Really like the hand cycling. I like to cycle through my deck most of the time when I play. And AOA scores for drawing through your deck are way up. There's just so many ways. And this is just one of those ways. And they're a solid body on the table. So I really like these guys. Ancient. In the right deck, super cool. Most decks, meh. Discarding three cards is rough. Um, yeah, I, I uh, full disclosure, I haven't played with any of these cards yet. I only have like one or two uh, disc decks I've got to play with, and none of them have any of the Yurks, but they seem awesome to me. Yeah, I mean, it sets up your favorite play, Jake. You can toss that Ronnie to exhume him that turn. Yeah, but I'd rather just play Ronnie to steal two, have it die naturally, and then exhume it to steal two more. That's what I'm about. No, I, I can understand that, but in a pinch. For sure. Yeah, that's value. Yurks are solid. Like the first two, the third one, um, in the right deck, where if, if it's like a degenerate MGKA combo and you're just trying to get to the combo pieces, super fantastic for Ancient Yurk, but otherwise most of the time it's just kind of, it's it's hard, hard to discard three cards. All right, now let's go to Logos. Uh, some cards I've actually played with a lot, but not the first one, so why don't you start with that? So logos, our first one we have is Eureka. This card is just so good. You just I a couple times last last night I had it in my opening hand and I'm just like, yes. I will start the game by playing one card, gaining three amber, and then having two cards in archive. So if I'm going first, I'm drawing even further into my deck. It's just so good. There are times when you do hit like your two logos. So say you have Eureka and two other logos cards and both logos cards go to archives and that's kind of feel bad. Um, it can kind of mess up some of your turn plans, but really getting half a key for playing a card and getting to draw two additional cards at the end of your turn. Yeah, it's really good. I really like it. Yeah, it sounds great. We read out just what it says exactly. Yep. So Eureka, you get an Amber Pit for playing it. It's an alpha card, so it has to be played first. Uh, play, gain two more amber, archive two random cards from your hand. I did, I mean, I honestly, one time last night in that last game that I talked about, I did actually not play Eureka when I had a chance, just because, like, the risk of losing the two cards I really needed to go off was too great, but pretty much any other time, I don't really care. <laughs> like, I'm just taking that three amber and smiling and putting two cards into archives. Yeah, so I haven't played with this card yet. Um, but I will mention that we've been talking a little bit in our Discord with folks about what some of the strongest cards in the set, and when you talk about strongest Logos cards, this seems to be the one that most people put right at the top. If there was anyone to challenge that card, in my opinion, it's the, it's the next one on our list, which is Igor. 
And that is a two power Logos creature that says play. Look at the top three cards of your deck, put one in your hand and discard the other two. That might not seem just on its face to be something that's overwhelmingly as powerful as drawing, as, you know, gaining three amber and archiving two cards. Here we go. (laughs) (laughs) But I'm going to make the case. Maybe this is a one stood against many in the middle of the episode. (laughs) Sure is. So this card just does absolutely everything that you could possibly want a card to do. It cycles your deck. It draws you another card. Often it's going to be a card that you get to play on that very same turn, which is an enormous advantage because not only are you getting that extra card now, but that means it's a card that's being taken out of your deck that won't be clogging up a future hand, making subsequent hands better. It just, so that's great. So that's the effect. And then it also synergizes with everything that Logos is trying to do. It literally makes every Logos card better with maybe the exception of Eureka. Um, Because it's a creature, which means, you know, you stick it next to Archimedes, uh, which makes it so you can archive and play it again to get that incredibly powerful effect again. Uh, It's something that you can, it's just fodder that you could sacrifice to a bouncing death quark or a, a neutron shark or a neuron shark, whatever it is. Uh, it's really fantastic with ZYX Researcher, which is another incredibly strong card, uh, which allows you to archive the top card of your discard pile. Archive the top card of your deck or the top card of your discard pile. So that's always good. Let's just go through the combo. So you, Igor, choose the two cards you want. You put one in your hand, and then you put the one that you're fine playing the next turn on top of your discard pile, then play the ZYX Researcher to grab that card as well. So super strong. You're getting two of the three cards. Um, yeah, so that's fantastic. It's great with helper bot because sometimes, you know, it'll give you that extra powerful card from another house that you can pull in your hand to play. Uh, it's fantastic. And maybe the best synergy it has of all is synergizing with more copies of Igor. (laughs) Gaining into another, that's a real thing. So this is one of the cards that I didn't evaluate correctly in my seal. The one of the decks I the deck I chose not to play and played at Chainbound the other night has three copies of Igor in it, and a lot of times I'd start a Logos turn and it literally felt like I was playing Library Access because so I would go Igor, look at the top three. Uh, oh, good, there, there's another Igor, or I already had two in my hand to start the turn. So you play three Igors, you're drawing a, a fourth Logos card to play. I mean, it's crazy. I really, I, I really think that it might be one of the best cards in the set overall. Almost like playing Martian Generosity, except for you get to keep all of them with Martian Generosity. Um, <laughs> but no, it partners really well, especially if you have helper bots too. If you have a helper bot in hand in Igor, like then you can just play the best of any of the three cards that you draw, regardless of the house. It's a, it's a creature for Professor Sutterkin too, which is, and it's also one that your opponent doesn't necessarily want to take off the table. It's a great target for backup copy, which is a card that gives you an amber, and when the creature is destroyed, it goes back on top of your deck to get that play effect again. It's just like you see that you should just your eyes should light up when you see this card in in your logos lineup i think we've hit all this so Helperbot, really quick is just a one power creature that says play you may play one non-logos card this turn so it's a phase shift on a on a on a body on a dude so yeah really good especially like we said with archimedes we mentioned archimedes who like we said man of the hour elusive two power each of archimedes neighbors gains destroyed archive this creature and if your opponent or you can board wipe with Archimedes out, you get to archive all your dudes. All these guys have turned out like Logos is really, really good in this set. 
Like it's it's pretty hard to find a bad Logos lineup. There's a few of them out there. I've got a few of them, but for the most part, like, wow, so good. So did I convince you, Igor, number one? No, <laughs> I'm still going to read something. <laughs> I'm trying All to get right. to my key. I understand, like, you're going through a lot of your deck that way. I just had to ask. Yeah, no, and I mean, like I said, last night, Igor essentially sealed the victory for me by finding the card I needed where I wasn't going to Eureka. So, I mean, I guess in that instance, Igor mm-hmm. was greater than Eureka, but that was end of game, kind of just, you know, I, it was the right call. Yeah, it's almost like one card's always good and one card's always <laughs> good. So, no, it's actually scary in that deck because if I draw Martian Generosity and Key Abduction, I don't have any way to get both of them in that deck. So I'm actually kind of careful when I play Igor, but like I said, that's a situational case for one deck. So, but yeah, for the most part, we're really good. We just covered a ton of good Logos cards. All right, a couple more though. I want. I just want to say very briefly, Pocket Universe is a card I really hated in Call of the Archons, and I actually think it's okay here. And there's one reason for that, and it's the prevalence of Ronnie Wrist Clocks, <laughs> which steals one Amber if you're at, you know, if you're at less than seven and two if you're at seven. So that kind of puts you in a really tough spot. Should I stay at six and then they'll still take me off a key or should I go up to seven? It'll still take me off a key and then they gain two if they have it. But having just one of these out just to stick one amber on means you get to stay at six and they can't take you off the key with that card, which might seem like a situational thing. But I think just like, you know, if you're playing an Archon, you should be expecting to run into that card frequently, Ronnie Wrist Clogs. So really, Pocket Universe gives you a little bit more value now than I think it ever got in the previous set. And all the clicking by Jake coming through the microphone. Thank you, Jake. My bad. <laughs> all right. Uh, another one that I wanted to point out is standardized testing. Uh, it's a Logos action card. Play, destroy each creature with the lowest power and each creature with the highest power. Yeah, you can really set this up to be really good. I've gotten hit by this one. I haven't gotten to play this one yet, but I've been hit by it a few times. And yeah, it, it can be a one-sided board clear if you set it up right. Like, I mean, since you're in con- kind of in control of it, I mean, it really, it does some work. It does, I mean, it takes a little finagling, but I've been pretty impressed with it. Like, I think that's a really good card. I agree. It's one of those cards that is a little situational, but it can just win the game on its own. So it's just worth it for that upside. Because um, you can always discard it, but there, and then at the same time, there are situations your opponent's got three two-power creatures and two six-power creatures, and you're like, I'll just clear your board with this. Cards we're still not high on and have proven not to be high is Binate Rupture. It is an action alpha play. Each player gains amber equal to the amber in their pool. Everybody knows that Brig is a thing. Binate Rupture, interventional graft, where you can steal after they forge, but otherwise Binate Rupture by itself is no bueno. The worst logos card in my opinion yeah it's yeah i think that's enough logos right is there yeah. anything else you want to no mention? let's do the next just, one i mean we left out so many good cards but like logos is just really good play logos uh, let's move on to another really good house yes. mars <laughs> i can't believe i'm such a mars fan now i hated it in coda like i avoided mars like the plague like the little green plague that they are, but my goodness, they're so good in this set. I've just been having so much fun. Um, I mean, obviously I'm just running a degenerate combo, so maybe that increases my fun, but even outside of that combo, like even just playing the cards turn to turn has been really satisfying. 
Yeah, I love Mars now. I am not ashamed to admit it, Dan. I love <laughs> Mars. <laughs> All right, what's the first card that you wanted to talk about? I want to talk about Agent Human. And this is the other big mistake I made at the Vault Tour. Uh, will you read out what Agent Human does? Yeah, it? he's a two-power creature. He's also elusive. He's got a cool little art there. Reap, choose a friendly non-Mars creature and an enemy non-Mars creature and stun the chosen creatures. Yeah. So I even said on the last podcast that this was a negative in the deck. I was, said even though the deck had 10 Mars creatures, two of them were the Vesemaya Think Drone, which I still think kind of sucks, and two were Agent Human, um, which I thought at the time was bad. But I'm here to report back playing after, after playing the Chainbound event. This was probably my MVP card. So the deck had two of them, and it is... I just didn't realize how much of a payoff it is to establish the board if you have Agent Human out. Um, and the reason for that is there, I just didn't think there are that many great reap effects where you're gaining Amber and controlling what your opponent can do. So being able to do that is incredibly powerful. And it really closes out games super quickly when you already have board control because you've got things like Collector Worm, uh, Beam Buckler, which we'll talk about in a second, uh, to lock down what your opponent's trying to do and fight off their threats. And you're also stunning two of the creatures uh, a turn. It's really hard and sometimes just impossible for your opponent to come back from that situation. So yeah, this card is a real card. Uh, it might not be good in decks that don't have a lot of Mars creatures where you're not getting that reward for calling Mars over and over again. But if you've got a deck where Mars is the main house, Agent Human is one of the cards you should be looking for. Human. Um, no, so I, I I guess I haven't played with him enough yet, but just looking at him, he's another two-powered creature that just dies to all the removal in AOA. So I'm going to reserve my judgment for saying he's awesome. But, I mean, a thing to note with him is that when you are reaping with him, if you have, like, say, some piddly creature that you've already stunned with him the turn before, you can keep stunning the same creature over and over again. You don't have to stun an unstunned creature. So like his downside to you isn't that bad if you've got that creature out there that you really don't mind stunning over and over again. And where you're at now is exactly where I was at, at the Vault Tour, and even last week before playing with it. So I get it. Yeah, no, I mean, I've seen the Reap. I just, I think every time I've seen it across from me, because that's the only way I've seen it, I've been able to just remove it before it actually does anything. So it just hasn't seemed that bad. But yeah, moving on, let's go to Beam Buckler. Okay. All right. So this is Tyxel Beam Buckler, a four power, one armored Mars creature. It says play, deal two damage to a creature and move it to either flank of its controller's battlefield or battle line, excuse me. So yeah, the two damage, you like, like I said, two damage just wipes out all these two-powered creatures. It's so nice. You just play it, you get it. Um, that's super cool. Um, I've mostly been using it to finish off people. I've got two of these in my MGKA deck that I played last night, and playing both these guys out and then key abducting to play them again feels so good. Oh, that's gross, dude. <laughs> so yeah, like there's just ah, so good. And, you know, you play your Orbital Bombardment before that, before you play them both out. I mean, oh, just all the damage, all the damage raining down, down from on high from our Martian overlords. But yeah, like I haven't, I really haven't used the move the battle line, but there's definitely some situations where that could be really good. There's so many of the Sanctum Taunt dudes and like um, Rathias the Fierce 
the dude that has hazardous four, like just moving him away from what he's trying to protect. That that's what's impressed me most about this card is like I knew the two damage was going to be good and relevant, and it is. But that effect is actually very real uh, and, and valuable of moving something away. So you, you mentioned taunt, and then another one that's huge is the Panpaka cards in Untamed that give all creatures to the left or right an effect. So just like taking something that's giving their entire battle line skirmish or plus two and moving to the other side to where it does nothing is <laughs> a pretty, that's a that feels good too. So that keep that in mind. Yeah, the beam there. Super good card. Always happy to see it in the Mars lineup. Let's talk about destroy them all. Yes. This might be the best Mars common in the set. I think it's the new premier artifact destruction, which is something that's even more important now than uh, in Call of the Archon. Sadly, it's an uncommon, sir, but oh, it's really good. It is a Mars card. Destroy them all. Action, play, destroy an artifact, a creature, and an upgrade. So most often when you're playing this, you're destroying a creature and or an artifact. But having that upgrade thing, you know, that doesn't hurt either. But, I mean, just one card that just takes any creature off your opponent's side of the board is so good in and of its own right. And then to tack onto that, the to give it the flexibility of also taking away an artifact, and then you can do both in one card, it's crazy. It's just, like, so strong, so versatile. I mean, it's just a card you want in every deck. Yes. Very much, yes. And I mean, there's a lot of artifacts in AOA that you want to get rid of. Proclamation, um, Heart of the Forest being two prime examples of cards that you just want to get rid of. And then in addition to getting rid of them, you get rid of a creature as well. All right, so Mindworm. It is a one-power Mars creature, elusive. Before fight, the creature Mindworm fights deals damage equal to its power to each of its neighbors. Jake, discuss. This is a card that's really underwhelmed me a lot. I think it's just terrible and almost a dead card in most situations. I mean, I, su I suppose it could be okay if you had it along with uh, a couple of copies of Mars first to ready the card that gains an amber and you can ready and use a Mars creature. So if you can use it the turn you drop it, it's fine. But even then, that's reliant upon your opponent having a board that can you can really take advantage of the effect. And I've found that it's pretty easy to set up your board in a way that you're never getting max value from Mindworm, especially because it usually takes a full a turn to activate it. You can't just drop it and use it right away. Um, so that is the main reason why I think it's bad. And then on top of that, it has an issue that a lot of one power cards have in this set, which is that there's just so much incidental hate. I mean, there, we've already mentioned Whistling Darts, which just does one damage to each opponent's creature. There's Throwing Stars, which deals one damage to three creatures and kills it. There's Rats. There's uh, They're Everywhere, which does two or one damage to everything. So there's just so much incidental hate that's just likely to sweep this thing up before you can use it anyway. It's just the payoff is not at all worth the setup cost. Yep. No, agreed. It's just, it dies. It just dies. Yeah, I guess another one that I've been blown out by is Hypnobeam, Mars action card, play, gain control of an enemy creature. I just... done. <laughs> so good. 
Yeah, that card is super awesome, especially because it's likely they're going to have at least one card that shares a house with you. But if you can play it against another Mars house, it just feels so great to steal their card and use it against them right away. Right away, or you can steal their Dusk Witch that they put out at the end of last turn, so all of your dudes start coming in ready. Cause... Or Brend. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks for the Amber. <laughs> I'll just kill this for you. Thank you. <laughs> no, Hypnobeam is so good. It just, it's just so many creatures you want to take from your opponent. And like I said, with Alpha and Omega creatures too, especially, like stealing some of these Omega creatures that need that turn to get ready um, and just being able to use them right away, so strong. Agreed. Okay, let's let's move on. So, we're, I mean, this is going to run a little long, but I'm having a good time. We can, if you're good, we just keep going through these. Yep, let's do it. All right. Uh, Sanctum. So the first card we're going to talk about the best house. (laughs) Everyone agrees. Everybody agrees. Get out. Be gone. All right. I just want to start with a bond, the armor smith. So that's a three power creature that gives one armor to each other creature you control. And it has the action of giving something or giving all your creatures another plus one armor. I've literally never used that action. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) But just the effect of giving everything an extra armor. We've already talked almost ad nauseum at this point about how easy it is to kill two power creatures. And these are a lot of times so important to your game plan. Uh, Just having one of these guys on the board all of a sudden makes all those two damage things so much less effective. All of a sudden your beam bucklers and your brammos and what have you are just infinitely worse. Sucker Punch is another one that does too. The card itself is maybe not incredibly impressive, but just the way it's situated in the metagame, I think it really is one of the strongest Sanctum cards, and that surprised me. Yeah, and it's at common. I think Grey Monk was an uncommon in the last set with kind of a similar uh, similar ability. I think it was Reap Heal to though, so it was a little bit different. But yeah, just that plus one armor throughout your entire battle line is so nice. And even Grey Monk, I think, in the context of Call of the Archons, is not as important just because there's not as many two-power creatures you want to protect. Uh, so I'm going to transition him into a pretty nice little combo of Maruk the Marked. He's a five-power, one-armor Sanctum creature. After Maruk the Mark prevents damage with his armor, capture one amber for each damage just prevented. So those two guys partner up. All of a sudden, Maruk has two armor. Um, he hits something, prevents two damage, and captures two amber from them. So good. Like, this card has been better than I thought it was. And I think the uh, Eureka moment, like I said, I had last night was I could use my Beam Buckler or my Orbital Bombardment or just any kind of, like, incidental damage spells that I had to actually ping him to capture amber where I didn't think I could use him because I had him stunned at one point. And I was like, crap, I can't pull them off of six amber. And then I was like, oh, no, yes, I can. I can Orbital Bombardment and hit him to capture the one amber to keep keep my hopes alive. I've actually been a little bit disappointed by this card. Um, I, th- I mean, capture in and of itself is just not the best, because a lot of times it's just keeping your opponent's amber safe for them. Uh, so there's that. But then also, there's a little bit of anti-synergy going on with Maruk and a lot of the other Sanctum cards that make it so a creature is healed and or can't take, take damage. damage 
Yeah, stupid Hallowed Shield. <laughs> yeah, Hallowed Shield, and then also Shield of Justice uh, is another card that does that. So I don't know, and I've played with this card a lot now, and it, it comes up more often than I expected, where I've run into a situation where it's like, okay, I need to both heal this guy and or, you know, it's like, oh, I need to heal him because he'll die if I attack again, but I also need to capture Amber. And it seems like that might not come up, but it's actually come up quite a bit for me. So I don't know. I think it's, a, it's still a good card, but actually I, I'm falling on it a little bit. Yeah, I think it's just better than I thought because, I don't know, I guess just the inc- incidentally damaging him yourself just feels so good. Yeah, I'll say it's another card that's definitely dependent on kind of like uh, what what uh, Misery, what's it called? Misery Exploit. Misery Exploit, where it's another card where it's sort of is dependent upon other houses. So yeah, if you have uh, other houses that can ping your own creatures easily, then it's going to be a lot better. But it's, it's hard to rely just on Sanctum to get good synergy with it. I'm probably spoiled because the deck I've been using him the most, which is my deck that I ran last night, has also has Mother Northel, a two-powered Sanctum creature, elusive, reap, move one amber from a friendly creature to your pool. Mm. That, has that, how has that card been for you? <laughs> if she lives it's so good because she reaps and gains two and that's almost like stealing one it's a sanctum steal since you've captured their amber um so yeah so she usually hangs out with her theus they're like good friends they like to hold hands as they head to the battle line um and yeah just really quick for theus the fears four power two armor taunt hazard is four yeah so good but yeah so that's maruk that's Mother Netherfell and Rathaeus kind of all lumped up into one. Yeah, she did work for me last night, though. Like, you can really start because her and then another one that I think we have on our list is Abade the Grim. Play, capture three amber, reap, discard one amber from Abade the Grim. I had it happen a couple times last night where I had Mother ready, played Abad the next turn, so I could reap with her right away and just remove one of them off of Abad. And if they stuck around for the next turn... You reap with her first to capture another one of theirs off of Albad, and then Albad reaps, getting rid of all of their amber, and their amber just disappeared before they even knew what to do with it. Yeah, I mean, I'm I'm kind of like mad on this card, I guess. It's like mad on Albad. I mean, it, I, at first I thought it was just like a strictly better charrette, but I kind of now I think it's like slightly worse charrette. How is maybe it slightly equal. worse? How? Charette is just four power. This is four power, one armor. Plus, you can get rid of the amber. How is this worse than Charette? I think it's just because of how it synergizes. Maybe it's not. Maybe that's unfair. But like the thing that was so annoying about Charette wasn't necessarily the capture, but how it's like always coming back and being recurred from the discard pile with Arise or Exhum or something like that. Because killing it is not really a problem. Uh, but yeah. No, this this is way better. There's no contest this is better than Charette, because Exhum doesn't care if it's a disc creature. He exhumed this next turn, and you start getting rid of that Amber. Charette is just four power. The one armor is relevant. The healing in Sanctum's relevant. All the taunt dudes in Sanctum are relevant. I don't know. Abad is way better than, than Charette. I have had great, great success with this guy. I like this guy a lot. All right. Well, it's another thing we'll just have to agree to disagree on, Dan. All right. Next one, obvious proclamation 346E. This card is insane, especially if you get it early. 
It is an artifact, a sanctum artifact. Um, while your opponent does not control creatures from three different houses, their keys cost plus two amber. I actually oh. don't think this one's that good either. No, I'm what? Just kidding. I'm just kidding. <laughs> oh my goodness. I was like, Jake, I think we're going to have irreconcilable differences here. Good day to you, sir. Yeah, no, that card's cra- like clearly crazy. It's a flash of broken dreams that you don't have to call Sanctum. I mean, it's only two amber instead of three, but you literally just don't have to call Sanctum. Like, it's just happening when it's out there. And this makes bad cards like um, Cutthroat Research from Logos actually good because they have to get to eight. And Cutthroat Research is a Logos action card that says gain an amber when you play it, or just amber pip. Um, play if your opponent has eight or more amber, steal two. So, oh, so good. All right, I've got a question for you, Dan. What do you think about the card Golden Aura? Awful. It seems like it should be good. You really feel like it should be good. And, like, even last night, my opponent, I think, discarded it twice because it just really did nothing. I agree with you. Again, it was, like, one of those cards when I first was reading through it, I was thinking to myself, like, this is great. You know, it's uh, it's, it's house cheating, which is always good. Um, but really, I think it's another card that is very much affected by just the metagame and I guess the other cards surrounding it. I think if this card was in Call of the Archons, it would be one of the best cards in Sanctum, hands down, because of all the incredible reap effects there. But here, there just aren't as many. So a lot of times it reads as just a situational one amber pip, right? You're just like... It's not even an amber pip. So it's golden aura, action, no free amber. Play, choose a creature, fully heal the chosen creature. For the remainder of the turn, the chosen creature is considered to be in house sanctum and cannot be dealt damage. Right. Well, I mean, like, I meant like situational amber pip as in like a lot of times the best effect you're going to get with it is just using on another creature to reap, which is basically like an amber pip. Yeah. Yeah, it's just, it's so weird. It seems like it should be so good, but it just has really been not impressive. And I'm hoping maybe that changes. Maybe somebody finds the deck with, you know, all the really cool reap abilities that all of a sudden you're reaping out of activation with different stuff to get cool effects. Like, I suppose, like with a Tezmal or something like that. I mean, I guess it, you know, there's, there's definitely probably situations where it is good, but I haven't seen them yet. Yeah. I've actually heard people say it's like the best sanctum common hmm. and i so i you know i don't know i'm glad we talked about it because I, I i'm on the same page as you it, it seems like a card that's not very situational because all you need is like one other ready creature from a different house but crap i keep clicking but yeah it's a card that uh is a lot more situational than it seems it's a card that i've discarded a lot more than i would have expected to we already kind of said before bourdain the redeemed is just kind of meh I will say last night, my opponent actually did prevent me from winning the game with the Bordan the Redeem, but I mean, that's the best possible scenario. And then I just orbital, orbital bombarded the crap out of him to get my Amber back, so. <laughs> so who won the game? I did. So he didn't prevent you from winning the game? Well, he prevented me from winning the game one turn. Yeah, but that's not helping anything. So he's a three-power elusive creature, action, capture two Amber. Um yeah, like, like again, if it was, I mean, Sequest was good in the last set because it was Reap Capture 1, but when it's action and it's not actually progressing you towards winning, it's just capturing Amber, it's not awesome. Yeah, I maintain what I said in the first episode. If it was Reap, cap, Reap Capture 2, it would be okay. 
I guess uh, very quickly, I'll say that the ambassador cards, the special rarity cards that allow you to uh, play or use a card from another house is, in my opinion, very underwhelming for all the same reason Mindworm is and other one power creatures. There's just so much incidental hate for it. It takes so long to set up that you're very rarely going to be getting an effect from it. I mean, the only one power creatures I really want in my deck are something that's giving me value right away, like Glimmer or Fila the Researcher, which I'm a lot of times drawing cards off of, or Duskwitch, which, again, is often going to die, but if it doesn't die, you're basically just going to win the game. Yep, and I want to plug my girl Anita, the traitor. So good. Um, So you have those stupid Hallowed Shields or whatever, and you just go ahead. So she's a two-power human merchant from the House Sanctum that says reap. Give control of a friendly artifact to your opponent. If you do, they must give you two amber. So Sanctum is not stealing. We are selling our used artifacts lovingly to our opponent for two of their ambers. So it's a three amber gain for you if she sticks around and gets to do that. And yeah, I sold a lot of hallowed shields last night. They were going like hotcakes. Sanctum <laughs> generosity. Sanctum generosity, yep. <laughs> To lead into that nice Martian generosity the next turn. That's cool. I haven't played with this card yet. I would have actually expected it to not perform well just because of the situationalness of it. But I'm glad to hear that it's been doing well for you. Sanctum definitely needs the love. Yeah, you need to have like you have to have the artifacts out and the artifacts you really don't care about. And like, I mean, one of my opponents last night did have Sanctum, but I'm like, I don't even care that you have Sanctum. I'll still give you my <laughs> my Hallowed Shield. Like, I'd rather have two Amber for it. So. Easy choice, yeah. Yeah. Okay. All right, so we got two more here. <laughs> Let's go on to Shadows. Shadows. My former favorite house. All right. I'll start with Merkins. Uh, so Merkins is a two-power card that says, play, play the top card of your opponent's deck or a random card from your opponent's archives. So I've had a bit of a turbulent history playing this card. <laughs> I talked last episode of how I played it right into my right into a Dusk Witch off the top of my opponent's deck at the beginning of my turn, essentially losing me a game in uh, a side event at the Vault Tour. So that was great. Uh, so, you know, I, I thought to myself, okay, I've learned. I now need to play it at the end of my turn, uh, learning from that mistake. So I, I play a Merkins in my deck at the Chainbound event. So in the first game... I play a creature, I you know, play something, gain an amber, end my turn with Merkins. Uh, this is like the second turn of the game. My opponent doesn't have any board at all. I rip off the top a life for a life. So I gain one amber, sacrifice one of my creatures to kill my other creature. Yes. And he, and he just goes Dusk Witch on his next turn, and I have nothing that I can do to stop it and just like lose the game literally off of that play. The next round, you know... I'm 0-1. I haven't lost my, you know, spirit. So I'm like, drop my Merkins and off the top of my deck, it's a or off the top of my opponent's deck, it's a swindle. So that just goes right back on top. I can't get any effect of it at all. So I was literally 0 for 3 the first time using that card. Having said that, I really think it's a strong card. <laughs> I've just gotten a little bit unlucky. Yeah, no, like my opponent, I got Merkins last night with only one card in archives and like Merkins out of the archives seems like such a safer play because it's a card that your opponent 
either it's just like their random one house that they wanted to just put away for a turn to see if they could draw into more of those cards or it's maybe like a tech piece they're trying to save and just getting rid of the archived card seems way better than off the top off the top is such a i guess either way but yeah he definitely has the yeah. potential um but yeah he also has the potential to completely blow yourself out yep i mean and there's a lot of cards that can be bad there's more i guess than you'd think so take that as a word of caution but also on the plus side it's kind of like a wild wormhole on a stick so a lot of times you are getting something good and you're getting a creature to boot and that means like all the other creatures with play effects it can be replayed if you have effects to either archive it or you know recur it from your graveyard uh so play effects are really good in this set and this is a powerful one it just can be it just can happen to screw you over a lot Yep. All right. I want to talk about Dust Chronicles. This is a Shadows action card. It has an Amber Pip on it. Play. If your opponent has more Amber than you, draw a card. If you have more Amber than your opponent, archive a card. This card is so good. Like, either situation, you're pretty pretty happy to play it. Um, the only thing you have to be aware of, if you're at one, your opponent's at two and you play it, nothing happens. You don't get either of the play effects. So make sure you're either down by two or even with your opponent when you play it. Yeah, I think archiving a card is just so much better than drawing a card. If I can at all set it up, that's the effect I'm trying to pull off. And whether you're ahead in the game or behind the game, it's usually pretty easy to find an opportunity to do that. Yeah, You, you know, if you're behind, it's just after your opponent forges. Um, so, yeah. yeah. I mean, usually it's just gain an amber, archive a card, which we know is great. And you can situationally, you know, if you're behind on the last turn of the game, and it can be a draw, which is exactly what you need. Either way, it's really just allowing you to draw a card, because you archive a card from an, another house, you're just drawing an extra card at the end of the turn. So, I mean, either way, it pretty much says draw a card. You're just not playing yeah. it every turn, and you might be able to set up a tech piece in your archive or something for future use. So, yeah, Dust Chronicles, really good. Really happy to see those and play those in decks. I agree. Um, let's talk about Swindle. What do you think about Swindle? <laughs> I'm still back and forth on it. Like... It's Alpha and Omega, so it's your entire turn. You can't use anything you have on board. Um, so Swindle, yeah. Shadows Action, Alpha, Omega. Play, Steal 3, Amber. It's such a powerful effect. I mean, that's like a net a net of 6 Amber change between you and your opponent. Um, last night, the very close game I played, the first game that I lost super narrowly, I'm pretty sure I got swindled around Key 2. And like... It was just like, ouch, yeah, that uh, puts him back in check again. Like, <laughs> just from, you know, being at like two or three, uh, he had to been at least three. Just, yeah, swindle and stole th- my three, taking me off check, putting himself in check. And I was like, yeah, but the Alpha Omega makes it so hard because that is all you're doing. You're only playing one card. You're only drawing one card at the end of your turn. You're not using any of your board. Yeah, so jury's still out for me. Like, I can see both sides of it yet. I am out on Swindle. I think it's a bad card, which is a... I've, so I've changed, because on our first impressions episode, I had predicted that this would be a card that ultimately is strong and ends up in a lot of good decks. I mean, that might still be the case, but I don't think that will be the case because Swindle's good. It'll be because the rest of the deck is good. Um, and so here's, I guess, this is my take. Swindle is kind of like Key Charge in the sense that it's extremely situational. It if you're if you're down in the game on the board, I mean it's just terrible. 
because now you're giving up your whole turn, right? Even if you get a key out of it, you're giving up your whole turn and they're going to, you know, just keep pressing their advantage, putting you... So a card that seems like it might even the game actually ends up putting you further behind. Therefore, you know, if you're ahead in the game, you don't really want to be playing Swindle either because that means you want to be using your board. So that's one of the things I really look for in how I evaluate cards. Does this card help get me back into the game if I'm behind? Does it press my advantage if I'm ahead? In both cases, I would say no. The notable exception for this is if it's the very end of the game and you're on two keys and you take your opponent out of check to put yourself in check, you know, yes, that's a good effect and it might win you a game or two here and there. And in my book, that's almost the exact same thing we saw with Key Charge. It's a card you almost never want to see, you never want to play, except for a very rare situation. And for me, for my playstyle, that's just not what I want to be doing at all. Yeah, it's definitely a skill testing card, like when to play it and when to maybe just discard it because it just isn't as advantageous as it needs to be. Yep. I would say the last thing I'll say on it, um, I'm sure you people would say, well, yeah, just like stick it in your archive, which I think makes a lot of sense for like a Call of the Archons mindset where there wasn't so much archiving happening you know it might make sense you might have like one lab work or one hidden stash in your deck so just put your bait and switch there and let it sit all game for the perfect moment and that was valid play but in so many of these aoa decks as you've already mentioned deck manipulation is so much more important that cards are constantly going in and out of my archives uh you know just sticking a card there and not using my archives at all is is in many cases i think uh, a cost that is just not worth the ultimate payoff. Yep. All right, let's go to his next door neighbor and talk about Sucker Punch. Sucker Punch is a Shadow's action, comes with an Amber Pit for playing it. Alpha, play deal two to an enemy creature. Very uh, extra emphasis on enemy creature. Can only be used on an enemy creature. If that creature is destroyed by this effect, archive Sucker Punch. This stupid card wrecked me last night so hard. <laughs> my mother, my Anita, like all of my good two-powered creatures that I was so skillfully putting next to big taunt dudes were just getting sucker punched turn over turn. And it was just like, yeah, like I played, I think, Anita, and I was just like, well, I guess you're going Shadows next turn because, you know, it was in her archives. And so, yeah, she went Shadows and sucker punched me again. Um card is so good like even just for amber like just recurring that amber every time you play it there's so like we've talked about all these like little two power creatures and one power creatures that if you have this early and you can just keep using it on their tech creatures when you need to kill them so good so very good cards that do damage and give you amber are good cards and this one has the added benefit of being recurrable yeah it's so gross oh my goodness i love this card so much i will say the fact that it's alpha is a real drawback, um, not just because of obviously you can't like hurt something and then finish off of that, but it can be really awkward if you have, I have a deck that has two sucker punches and a lot of times that's not ideal, especially because sucker punch even more so than a card, another card that has alpha, you know, uh, which is always going to be awkward. You have two in the same hand, like sucker punch is that exacerbates the issue because you're likely to have one, in your archive or recurring. So it just seems like that situation is a lot more common to come up 
with this card in particular. Like it's easy. Once you have one in archives, you can just pitch the second one. You don't need to use it or you use the second one on a turn where it doesn't finish something off so it doesn't go to archives. Sure. Yeah. I mean, it's not like a it's not it's not like a fatal flaw, but it is just something to be aware of that takes it down just a hair. Yeah, no, two sucker punch is good, three sucker punches, Still probably okay, but that's too many. You'd rather have something else. Let's see, anything else you're trying to talk about shadows wise? Um we added little myth. Oh yeah, that card's bad. <laughs> so Little Myth is a... He's not even a common. He's an uncommon, which seems not awesome. He's Omega, Deploy, and Elusive, 2 power. So after a neighbor of Little Myth is used to fight, steal 1 Amber. And yeah, I don't know. This guy doesn't live to see the next turn. He's got the 2 power that we've been talking about with everything else that just makes it so easy to remove that... It's not usually an issue, especially with the Omegas, so that's the last thing to do on their turn. It's got three things working against it. The body, two powers, not where you want to be, Omega, so it's limiting how you can use it. And then the third is, like, you don't want to fight a lot of times with your Shadows cards. There's these little guys that have, you know, Reap abilities or, or whatever else. So even in the situation that you play it and it survives... A lot of times it's asking you to do something that's not necessarily optimal with the other creatures you have out. I'll disagree there. He's got Deploy, so like my opponent last night played him in the middle of two beefy Sanctum dudes. Um, But unfortunately that 16 power uh, orbital bombardment came down and just wrecked him. That's situational though, right? It's like you're not always going to have two beefy Sanctum guys. No, I know, but you're saying that he's only going to come in next to Shadows dudes, and it, 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 you could have Brobnar dudes out, big beefy Brobnar dudes, and slip him in between those dudes. But it's more likely that he'll go in next to Shadows, because that's what house he is. So if you don't have anything on the board, or you only have one guy on the board, or whatever, you know, that's all I'm saying. That's fine. Knuckles will gladly sit next to that guy. Yeah, okay, so there's a couple synergies. I still think, overall. I, I don't think he's. I don't think he's great. Because the Omega just makes it really bad. How dare you disagree with me? This is a podcast. You're making me look stupid, Dan. No reasonable discussions here. All right, let's move on. All right, last house. <laughs> Jake, the hater of Untamed. Oh, I thought we were on Mars again. Is this Untamed? I thought it was Mars. Oh my goodness. All right, Uh, so cards that are good, that are still good. Glimmer is still good. Again, they kind of face the same sucker punch kind of thing where... You don't want too many of them in a deck because you don't want to have multiples in hand. But if you have like two glimmers or one glimmer, it always feels good playing a glimmer to return any card from your discard pile to your hand. Yeah, they're going to be so much better if you have good untamed cards to return. So that's just one thing to be aware of with that. So, you know, if you have Nature's Call, uh, Mimicry, some of these like top tier cards that you're going to be bringing back, then it's a lot better. If you're then you're if you just have like creatures or kind of meh untamed cards, which unfortunately is most of the untamed commons. <laughs> oh, man, we are gonna disagree so hard. <laughs> so I don't know. It's it's okay, but I think it's honestly more situational in terms of like the deck quality than other cards. So really quick, one power alpha um, play return a card from your discard pile to your hand. So yeah, just a whole bunch of flexibility there for what you return and like jake said it's nice if you can return good untamed cards but even if you need to return a tech card to play for the next turn out of another house that option still exists um another busted card 
is Punctuated Equilibrium. This is a rare. It is an action card out of the Untamed House, and it says play. Each player discards their hand, then refills their hand as if it were the end of their turn. So really cool notes on this one. Um, you play full moon and a couple creatures, and this guy, and drawn to some more untamed creatures to keep that full moon going. Um, if you have chains, this is a way you, like, you will draw and discard a chain because it's drawing as if it was the end of your turn. So if you had one chain left, you can shed that last chain. Just kind of cool. Um, it just messes up your opponent's hand. Like they've been crafting a hand for like three turns. All of a sudden it's just gone. And they're just drawing into a completely random hand, which is pretty sweet. Yeah, as much as I hate Untamed in this set, um, this is maybe the most powerful effect of among any cards. I guess Martian Generosity can give it a run for its money. Maybe Proclamation as well. But this card is crazy. If For anybody who's played Magic, it's literally just Wheel of Fortune, which is one of the most overpowered cards ever printed in Magic Gathering. Um, and I think that it's almost even better here than Wheel of Fortune was in Magic Gathering because of how important crafting a hand is. There's no mana cost. You just play whatever cards you draw that you can play. So good. Yeah, I mean, there's no mana cost also. So that 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 matters. But like in Magic, you're not necessarily doing the same type of handcrafting turn after turn. So if you can time this right, not only will you get tremendous advantage out of it, but you can just really sink a ton of time and energy from your opponent. All right, step on your soapbox, Jake. Go. Okay, here we go. Underwhelming cards. I'm just going to say basically all of the commons uh, in Untamed outside of arguably Glimmer. Where do we start? I mean, so you got Nox. He's troll, only like worse, and troll sucks. You've got Song of Spring. This is, I mean, I guess you get an Amber off it. It's going to return untamed cards to your deck, which is terrible because untamed cards suck. So that's like the last thing you'd want in your deck anyway. Now you have to draw them again. You've got Marmoswarm. That's like also bad troll. You've got Grovekeeper, so you can give plus one counters to your trolls, which isn't really matters that much. You've got Save the Pack, a uh, very situational uh, board clear that's extremely dependent upon cards in other houses in the most case. Uh, I mean, it could be okay if you have good synergies. So maybe you have Save the Pack plus... They're everywhere. They're everywhere. So, I mean, you know, that's a card that can have good synergy, but a lot of times it's just literally a dead card if you don't have those synergies. Full Moon is another card that is super situational it can be situationally good if you have a lot of a lot of creatures but quite a few of these untamed lists are gonna have two copies of untamed or, or two copies of save the moon and only four or five creatures <laughs> full save moon. The moon. yeah are, really these cards are just rolling running together in my head because they're all trash and i just don't want them in my deck anywhere near my deck untamed is still good don't listen to jake i don't know what his problem is but I don't know. So Song of Spring, um, and if you have the right deck, Song of Spring is okay. But yeah, that one's kind of bad because a lot of times you don't want to reshuffle your untamed creatures back in. I'll agree with that one. I've never, I thought that was kind of cool, and I've had it do some cool things where I'm towards the end of my deck and I can set up some silly untamed turns. But other than that, not great. Save the pack. Again, like in Coda, it was not awesome. In this, in this set, it's a little bit better because there's a lot of things that kind of do splash damage. But again, yeah, a lot of times you're just, I mean, you're playing it to kill one of their creatures, maybe. 
or you're just discarding it. So, but I think I think it is actually better in AOA. There's just more things that will allow it to actually go off. Grove Keeper, I think, is good. Like it's something they just have to answer. Can kind of spiral some dudes out of control. Um, Fang House, oh, group. So Fang House, I really like Fang House. What do you think of Fang House, Jake? Three power, assault three, hazardous three. Yeah, I still think I still think it's fine, but it's less good than I thought when we did our first impressions episode. Uh, I don't know. I mean, it just sits out there. You can use it to fight to get rid of something small, which is nice. But I think as I play more, I realize there's just way more, like way better effects. I'd rather be using to get rid of those same creatures than having to call untamed to fight with Fang House. Yeah, there's just so many like elusive, like two and three power dudes though that this guy just doesn't care about the elusive. So sometimes it's just a really efficient answer if he's sitting out there. Um, yeah, I forgot to say two more comments that also suck. <laughs> Darna, terrible. That's a common. Uh, it's a common. Yeah, I said common. Oh, you said I thought you said uncommon that you forgot to mention. And and then you, know, I guess I'm already I'm noted for being a key charge hater, but I still think it's bad here as well. So. I'm looking at the commons and and then I mean so like it seems like there's just way less good targets for regrowth as well because so many of these common creatures are just so meh. Uh that's just like I'm I mean literally I'm looking at these commons there's 12 uh 16 in the set and I think that 1 2 3 4 5 6 7 8 9 of them just are really bad cards i don't want my deck yeah but the twins like you regrowth the twins to get a sweet effect for a turn um so that would be the pampaka anga and pampaka jaga so jaga says skirmish three power creatures to the left of pampaka jaga in the battle line gain skirmish pampaka anga is a five power creature and creatures to the right of pampaka anga in the battle line get plus two power so good I mean, as you look, as you get up into the uncommons and rares, there are a lot of really good cards. Like Mimicry and, and the Pentseed are still two of the best cards in the game. Nature's Call silly. So here, my thing with Untamed is just that it's going to be the new Mars in the sense that it ruins the most otherwise good decks. Because you're going to look at it and see a bunch of these commons, and they're just going to be not very effective not very impactful on the game. Having said that, just like Mars and Call of the Archon, if you get a top-end set with a lot of the really good cards and avoid the bad ones, then yeah, of course Untamed is strong. It can be strong. It can be in top-tier competitive decks, just like Mars could last time. But if you're looking at average power, to me, it's not even close. Like, Untamed is by far the worst. Hmm. Yeah, I don't know. I'm, I'm not that down on them yet. Maybe that'll change. Um, like, <laughs> so confession, I have like five Heart of the Forest decks. So, <laughs> so like some of these guys like tanted in that aren't exciting. Like that dude just sticks to the board. Knox can just be another dude that sticks to the board. If you get him surrounded, he's nine power. He's just really hard to remove. So you can set up that final turn where you can go forge, reap with a bunch of untamed dudes and key charge or chota your way to a Heart of the Forest disgusting victory. So... Maybe it's just, maybe it's a coloring. Maybe you just need to play Untamed more, Jake. Maybe you should play more sealed events and see how you feel about Untamed after a little while. Yeah, that's fair. I've only played one. 
Anyway, we're pushing 90 minutes here. Let's just do final thought takeaways uh, from AOA so far that you want to share with the people. Let them hear it. So yeah, so that's a lot of talk. I guess we're kind of unfair to Untamed, but we'll we'll leave them be. We've kicked them enough. Jake's kicked them enough. I'm trying to pick them back up, but... They deserved it. <laughs> Overall, AOA is really shaping up to be a fun set. I think I think everybody kind of thought it was going to be fun. Um, it, feels, it definitely does feel a little more balanced from high to low, which is kind of cool. And I think there's a lot more synergies and power that's being discovered as we're playing it more. And I think that's only going to continue to grow as uh, we get chances to play more. Hopefully, JD will uh, finish up with the TCO updates. So we can really start slamming some games and really getting a good idea of how these decks kind of play out and kind of the strategies there between AOA and Coda. But so far, it's been a lot of fun. I've, I've really enjoyed it. A lot of people are saying it's a little more complex version of the game. And I, I'd, I'd agree. There's a lot more synergies and battle line formations that you have to really be aware of great thoughts dan all right so here's mine i've got a a few points here that are just more meta analysis things that weren't clear to me when we were just looking at the cards but having played more are becoming clear so the first is that fight abilities are much better now and that's due to as i mentioned the fact that elusive is so much more prevalent so you're able to often use fight abilities without sacrificing the creature Uh, putting the onus on your opponent to get rid of them rather than just trusting that fight creatures will eventually off themselves or they'll have to stop using their abilities. Um, One power creatures are really bad now, even ones with powerful effects. Uh, So if you have those in your deck, just be aware that like really the good ones are ones that you get value out of the turn you play it or Dusk Witch because of the upside is just so tremendously large. And then the final thing I'll say is that establishing boards, we knew that big boards was going to be a thing uh, in AOA. That was apparent right away. Uh, But it's become clear to me that not all big board decks are created equal. And the ones that are good are the ones that have a main house that really has a payoff. So once you get that big board, you're able to essentially you know, suffocate your opponent and and win the game because just having a bunch of big untamed creatures, for instance, isn't enough because you're just not getting that much value out of reaping compared to, say, a big Mars board, which you're going to be doing the same reaping, but you're also going to be stunning your opponent's creatures, returning cards from your discard pile to your archive, um, you know, or or a Logos board where you're, you know, drawing a ton of cards, archiving your good play effects and so on and so forth. So when you're evaluating decks in AOA, uh, if, if you think the strategy is to go big in the board to win, which is definitely viable, just make sure you know, you know what benefit you're getting out of that. And I think that'll really help people to evaluate their decks a little better. Sweet. All right. Remember, business cards, t-shirts, key fort, uh, throwdown, and last but not least, give me that gamma deck giveaway so remember to retweet hashtag keyforge and put in your guesses for the three house makeup of that gamma deck that jake will be generously donating to one of you fine folks you can reach us at uh sanctimonious at gmail.com i'm online on twitter at jake freed that's just j-a-k-e-f-r-y-d so you can dm me there and then as always you can 
uh, join our Discord. The link's in the show notes. The shirts are going to be awesome, uh, especially if you're going to an, a big event and want you know people to hang out with, team up with, practice with, talk to, you know, join team, sanctimonious, get yourself a shirt. Yes. All right, so you can find me, Dan is someone, D-A-N-I-S-S-O-M-E-1, on Twitter and Twitch. Again, Twitch has been very vacant recently, so sorry. Um, yeah, that's that's pretty much it. Yeah, join the Discord. It's fun. We have great discussions. All right. Well, thanks so much. That's all for this week's episode of Sanctimonious. Uh, hopefully it's enough content for two weeks, but we will still be back uh, next week as always. Thanks so much for joining us. Archons of the Crucible, we salute those about to throw down in the Crucible in Italy. Bring those Coda decks, jam them against those AOA decks, see who comes out on top, and forge those keys. Nailed it. Alright, just like we need to do our... Uh, do we want to put in our vault tour guess on the decks that make it or not? Oh yeah, 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 sure. Final, final, final bid here. Uh, so me and Jake are gonna put in our guesstimates as to how many AOA decks finish in the top sixteen at Vault Tour Italy. I will put it as six, and I'm putting that it's a little bit higher than maybe what's gonna happen, but I think the people that will be playing AOA decks will. They won't have as much experience playing those decks, but I feel like their opponents won't have as much experience either playing against those decks. And I think the really good players are going to find a really good AOA deck and really learn the ins and outs of it really quick and be at an advantage maybe on the weekend due to the inexperience from everyone playing with and against AOA. Jake, what do you think? How many? Yes. So by the time people hear this, they'll already know how wrong we are. But uh, so yeah, this is Friday right before the Voltor a recording i'm gonna put my guess in at five but with the caveat and i think the reason for that is just that there are so many more call the archon decks out there that a lot of people might just defer to comfort i really think power level is roughly equivalent between the two sets at this point so i'll say five but with the caveat i think an age of ascension deck is gonna win and i think it's gonna have exhum and ronnie (laughs) he's calling a shot all right I'll get on. I'll get on team MGKA. Somebody's gonna have that sweet Martian generosity key abduction deck with Nepenthe seed for the two key swing when it goes off, and it's gonna be epic. And then it'll get banned. Perfect. Let's hope for that. No, I'm just kidding. No.